Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of, I guess this is Liz's first episode? Um, but yeah, we're going to do another list here for you guys. Um, and this one is ranking the most epic heel turns in WWE and WCW history. Um, don't know why they separate that because they're both the same now. But, I mean, wrestling is pretty simple. It's built on good versus evil, you know, hero, villain, blah, 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 face versus heel terminology. But no matter what the name it goes by, the business is defined by that dynamic. And often the easiest way to change a company is with a major heel turn. Almost every wrestler in the business has played both sides. The longer a superstar stays in the business, the most likely it is they will change sides. WWE has been around for decades under a few different names, and many major heels turns have defined a business. WCW is pretty much the same. It had a legacy defined by those events when the company evolved with a single performer. Uh, and... I have so much bad allergies, sorry. Uh, these moments are great for their immediate impact as well as their long-term consequences. Fans remember these turns because of the surprise and aftermath. These are the heel turns that define the wrestling business. The moments that will never be forgotten as a treasured hero turned dark. Yeah. I mean, we we all know uh, <laughs> what that means. Uh you know, when the good guy turns bad and it shocks the shit out of you and you're like, whoa, what just happened? Those are the best ones when you don't see them coming. Am I right? They're the, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's all and it's oftentimes the one it, it's often it's one of two things. It's either the baby face that you never thought would turn or it's the one baby face who's getting frustrated and then he finally snaps. And people suddenly boo him, even though he's justified in his actions. Because I learned a long time ago, and I'm going to pick this name up real quick. Steve Carino said that a heel will never admit that he's doing anything wrong. The heel does not believe he's a heel because he's justified in his actions. There's a little tidbit for you. So that being said, yep. yes. Well, I think the going back to that real quick, I think the biggest, best example is Daniel Bryan when he was trying to save the planet and he was a heel. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it made no sense that he was a heel. He was literally being an environmentalist and trying to get us to stop being shitty people. Right. Uh, but I think him being shitty to people about... It, it's the it's the, it's a, it's, it's the God complex. It's the holier-than-thou mentality that people kind of don't, you know, appreciate most of the time. Um, and there's been many different types of you know, bad guys in sense of like different types. You got the chicken shit heel. You got the, you know, the badass heel. You got the, the heel that, you know, is like that sniveling heel that goes, always goes to management or whatever. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the misunderstood heel, the misunderstood heel, the angry heel, the fuck the world heel, uh, which I can understand that one a lot. Uh, <laughs> cause that's what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, there's so many different types. But for a beloved baby fate, like honestly, the only the only real like the only real like the only wrestler that I can think of off the top of my head who never turned heel in my and if he had, I don't I don't I don't know of it. Really the only one that I can't remember ever turning heel was Ricky Steamboat. He may have, but I don't know. I think Ricky no. Steamboat was the only I don't think ever I don't ever think Ricky Steamboat turned heel. I don't think he ever did as himself. Maybe when he was under a hood. 
probably. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty positive. Like when it was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, he was never, you know, he never portrayed the bad guy. No, because I mean, you got to remember his main dance partner was Ric Flair, so right. He never had to be the heel. Yeah, and Ric Flair, in many people's eyes, is is the greatest heel that ever lived. You know, mm. I said in many people's eyes. I mean, there. I mean, we could, we can <laughs> definitely have a top ten heel uh, countdown uh, soon. Um, but let's go ahead and let's start get, go into the list because we got a lot to talk about. Uh, Chip, you want to kick us off tonight? Yeah, I will. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is Triple H's Plan B, where he destroyed the Shield, uh, per se. Uh, so the shield defined modern wrestling at a level that seemed almost impossible. Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, they revitalized the business and put on some of the greatest six man tag matches in WWE history. However, it was the group's ending in June of 2014 that truly defined the legacy of the shield. After running through the entire roster, including evolution twice, triple H had a plan B to stop the trio. He had to break them up from within. Most expected Dean Ambrose would be the one to turn. No one thought Seth Rollins, the man who first brought them all together, would be the one who tore them all apart. The architect hit his friends in the back with a steel chair and stood tall with Triple H. He ended the shield and gave new life to the authority. The heartbreak of this moment immediately created three singles stars while the follow-up was far from perfect there is no doubt the shield was elevated by this moment in the long run <clears throat> the uh, and rollins became one of the defining stars of the generation as did reigns ambrose also became a huge star but he ended up finding his true place outside of wwe in aew where he has returned to his old ring name of john moxley um what are, what are your guys' thoughts on this particular uh, turn? Um, so when I watched it, um, I was surprised at everybody because I did believe it was going to be Ambrose or Reigns. They that's who they hinted at the whole time leading up to it. They had Seth being, you know, hey, you know, we got to do this together. We're staying together. Blah blah blah. And then it was just like, I don't know. It's not like shock as in holy crap you know but like man they really got us got one over on us real quick yeah because like there was no expectation for Rollins and yeah it didn't make all three of these guys major stars um I mean Seth Rollins went on to become multiple time champion um both face and heels beating Lesnar and Reigns multiple times one of the only guys that can say he's done that um every gimmick he's been given he makes it better even when it's crappy and then we have, you know, Roman, who has some stumbles along the way, but, you know, nowadays is doing some great work. And then the other guy is at the other business. Right. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my immediate thought was, and, and it, it's easy to look back at now and kind of see, like, the nuances of how, like, I mean, like what, like what you said, Roger, like Am, uh, um, Rollins telling everybody, hey, you know, we need to stick together, which that's classic bait and switch, you know, making people believe one thing and then stabbing them, you know, the other direction. But I think at this point, I mean, I think at that point, the shield had kind of 
I won't say worn out its welcome, but I do think that at that point, the shield kind of did everything that they needed to do as a group, you know, yeah, I mean, now they did. Now they did do a reunion kind of deal many years, many moons later. Um, and it was, you know, and a lot of things happened first, you know, Roman had the meningitis issue where it was end up being Ambrose Rollins and angle at a pay-per-view. Um, and of course, you know, you know, um, Reigns had a bat with leukemia, then he had to leave again. Um, which ended up being Rollins, which ended up being a, another weird deal. The same night that uh, Roman announced he had leukemia and then he left was also the same night that Ambrose flipped on Rollins and turned heel, um, which a lot of people said that that was very ill-advised. But for me, I was like, that's actually the perfect time to do it because no one's expecting it. Um, but the, the follow-up to that was kind of shitty, but that's, a different, but that's for a different discussion. For me, like I was from what I was saying, they kind of did everything that they could do with the shield at that point, and it was time for them to break out and do their own thing. Um, I would like if, if it like I, I agree with y'all. I thought it would have been Ambrose. That would be the one who I thought it was going to be. But for Seth, I mean, I kind of as soon as Seth Rollins went out of the ring and grabbed the chair and got back in the ring, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, wait a second, what are they doing? And then this one, Triple H said, "There's always a plan B." They all walked in with chairs. Say what now? They walked in with chairs. No, 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 no. I remember very specifically Rollins went out of the ring and grabbed a chair and came back in the ring once once Evolution came out because it was Orton and uh, I say Evolution, Evolution without Batista, Blue Tista, if you will. Um, so yeah, but I, but either way, Rollins had a chair, you know. And I'm looking around. I'm like, there's always a Plan B. Ambrose is looking, Roman's looking, Seth's got the chair and he's kind of grimacing, and I'm thinking. It's Rollins. Boom! And it's like, oh shit, that happened. And it was so strange because the crowd, it was at that point the crowd knew that the shield was done. But it was almost like a dead silence for almost three seconds to let they can realize what the hell just happened. And then you got half the people booing and then there were some people who were cheering. It was like, yay, Seth Rollins is going to be by himself again. You know, that whole thing. Um, I mean, it was definitely a shocking heel turn, to say the least, from the standpoint that everyone thought it was going to be one person and ended up being the other. It was a bait-and-switch kind of situation. Okay, well, so... Uh, but, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was just say, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like this heel turn at this particular spot didn't make sense. They had just won the very night before and beat Evolution. What was the what was the point behind it right. just to say, I don't need you guys anymore. Like you could have done that without what you did. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Right. Like I, I get where it came from in, in the broader story arc, but to just to be like, all right, you know, we just won our match and we beat these guys, you know, why, why turn your back on your friends at this point? Right. And then even Seth the came week, to sell out. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and the following week, and this when they asked him, you know, they had the crowd chat doing the whole you sold out chant. And he was like, I no, didn't I sell out. I bought, I bought in. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like, but did you though? Like, <laughs> I mean, he won title. He's won more titles than Roman. That That is true. That is. He won it first true. too. <laughs> yeah. And, hey, cashing in at WrestleMania, you know, like that was the, that was the, uh, what, what do they call it? The heist of the century. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big, very big moment. But 
Yeah. And now, now all of them are, I mean, Seth Rollins, uh, is, you know, he's, he's, or drip Rollins as a lot of people are calling him now. Cause uh, he's got no, the nice you can't call him drip Rollins. I can't either. That's, yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, John Morrison's name, Johnny drip drip. Oh, okay. <laughs> but then also Roman's doing his deal now as the tribal chief, the head of the table deal. And Moxley is an AEW. Um, you know what? But Technically, you know, he's not. He's on paternity leave right now, so he's not even doing anything. Right. He got a new look, though. Shaved head, beard. Yeah, I wonder where he got that idea from. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that man's hairline was in the behind his ears, so he had to do it. Hey, hey, I, I, I feel him. I, I know, I know, I know what he's going through. Trust me, I've had that problem since I was like nine. But anyway, uh, Damn, had, since nine, you had the you had the whole Kogan going on when you I were had nine. The whole Kogan going on at nine, bro. You don't even. Damn, I didn't, you didn't start growing bro. hair until I was like four. Right, bruh, and then you lost it by nine. I lost it. No, I didn't lose it by <laughs> nine. It was just really starting to wear thin, and I was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm shaving it. My yeah, mom was like, no, don't shave like your head. Five years. Say what now? <laughs> he only had a full head of hair for like five years. I did. I got the picture. I got the. I got the. I got the uh, highest. I got the, uh, the the best my hair ever looked was probably when I was maybe going into the fifth grade, um, where I had like a full like a flock of hair. And then sixth grade came, and I was just like, "He started the Eddie Monster." Yeah, I did. It was, it was horrible. <laughs> well, it didn't have a widow's peak, but it was definitely there. Damn. But anyway, all right. Damn. But let's move on from the next one. The next one set up in what I thought was probably one of the best stories that they told from 2007: Chris Jericho blinding Shawn Michaels. Chris Jericho has repeatedly reinvented himself in his career from wacky cruiserweight in WCW to one of the biggest names in pro wrestling after his jump to WWE. He he knew better than anyone how to keep himself fresh. After a two-year hiatus, he returned to WWE in 2007 to little fanfare. He was not clicking with the fans as much like he used to and needed a fresh start. He found that in he found that in what may have been his most defining feud in the year 2008, Jericho had always idolized Shawn Michaels, but he always knew HBK was a liar and a cheat. When the fans refused to join him in his outcry against his idol's antics, Y2J took his shot. He smashed Shawn Michaels in the face in, and then smashed his face into the Jeritron 6000, nearly blinding the WWE Hall of Famer. The subsequent feud defined the best run of Chris Jericho's career and some of the last great matches of Shawn Michaels' career. It was also the moment that made Y2J a legend in the business. The shock of the moment and some of the best follow-up on any turn in WWE history made this one of the most defining heel turns of the generation. You guys remember this night? It was it was on, yeah, it was on Monday do. Night Raw, the highlight reel? Yeah, I do, because it was when uh, I started noticing HBK's lazy eye. Yeah, and that, they use that as part of the storyline, uh, like when he ran uh, Sean's face into the Jeritron 6000, <coughs> excuse me, uh, they use that to start to kind of define the lazy eye, even though the lazy eye was actually... Um, it had been there for a while. <laughs> it had been there for a while, and it came from a match with Kane, um, where he just took a bump the wrong way, and it kind of jarred it loose or whatnot yeah it happened yeah you know but uh, I, I remember yeah. this was because i mean I'm, jericho and Shawn michaels has always had a great chemistry and feuds i mean the wrestlemania 19 match was amazing right 
at uh, Safeco Field. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. Love that uh, match. But no, like, anytime you see these two in the ring, you know something's going to happen. Right. If I'm not mistaken, this match, they had the unsanctioned match at Unforgiven. And then that night also, Jericho also competed in that uh, scramble match. And yes. won the World Heavyweight Championship from CM Punk when CM Punk got taken out of the match by Orton and Legacy. Um, when that whole thing, when they said, hey, you know, the Jericho Shawn Michaels feud needs to be for the world title, which I yeah. don't really think it needed to be. They told a good enough story without the championship being there. Although I do think that it did add something because that we, if, if the title wasn't on the line, we wouldn't have had that incredible ladder match that they had. Um. I can't remember what pay-per-view that was. I want to say it was, let's see, it was Unforgiven. What was it? Probably SummerSlam. No, no, it wasn't. Was it some? It may have been SummerSlam. Here, let me check real quick. I don't want to. Because either un, back then it wasn't Unforgiven before SummerSlam. I I do believe so. Because yeah. after Backlash, which means it was already after Mania, which would have been the big one, which would have been SummerSlam, which would have been like the three-month program. Yeah, but um, yeah, but yeah, but wasn't Unforgiven like? In like kind of like that middle, like like June or July. Well, no, July was always Great American Bash. I think they did Great American Bash before they did SummerSlam. I thought they did. Which Unforgiven was before that? No, oh, I think Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels ladder match. Uh, no, no, it was No Mercy two thousand and eight. Oh, so it was even like a major pay per view. No, it wasn't a major pay per view. It was No Mercy. Um. It was Unforgiven, right. and then it was. Uh, then after that, it was uh, No Mercy in at the Rose Garden in Portland. Um, and then after that, it was Cyber Sunday, and then it was Survivor Series. So this was after. So un, so this was after SummerSlam. So no, no way out was it was before WrestleMania, Judgment Day after Great American Best, SummerSlam, Unforgiven. Yeah, Unforgiven was after the No Mercy. So it was before Survivor Series. Okay. No, 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 no. Unforgiven, Unforgiven was after SummerSlam. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The the next big one would have been Survivor Series. Yeah. The next it was, big, it was yeah. my mistake. Yeah. They definitely changed it around because they did not have. Yeah, they definitely changed it around because they had Night of Champions in the middle of June. Yeah. Yeah, 2008 was a crazy year. Didn't they have like, they had like 16 different pay-per-views or something like that? Yeah, because they had Cyber Sunday, which was random because they stopped it for a while and they brought it back. Well, yeah, they did Cyber Sunday. They did, uh, what, it was a Lethal Tuesday or Taboo Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday, but they yeah. Said, they didn't do that one for they, yeah. they stopped one uh, after like two. <laughs> well, the whole well, well, the whole reason why they didn't do Taboo Tuesday anymore and switch it to Cyber Sunday was because it was more difficult for people to go to a live pay per view on a Tuesday evening than it was a Sunday evening. Which I mean, either way, you got to get up and go to work the next day, um, you know. But um, I don't know. But back to this, the, uh, the I mean, it made for some damn good. Um, moments um well this was this was also the angle where jericho punched Shawn michael's wife in the face wasn't it yes yeah. yeah. drilled her for real yeah yeah uh, broke her tooth i think yeah or knocked it out yeah it was crazy yeah uh but yeah back to that ladder match that was at no mercy yeah yeah, yeah. 
I just remember them holding the belt. Like I, I, at one point in my head, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, they're going to give Shawn Michaels another run with this, you know? Um, don't know how, you know, but I mean, yeah, they're, they're really going to give him another run with it. And this was also, I think this was right. I don't know if maybe it was just because I felt that following WrestleMania in 2008, I believe that was, yeah. What year? Oh, no, I'm sorry, 2009. Yeah, that was Undertaker, that was Undertaker Shawn Michaels, wasn't it? What are we talking about? The feud that, the feud that, uh, like he had this feud. Oh, no, the, the, I'm trying to think of the feud that he, that he had after Jericho. Because Jericho had the world title and then he moved on from there. Um, I don't think he, I don't know what big feud he was in after that. I can't remember. What um, it says Chris Jericho was the main one. Wait, what now? Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels were the main, Was the, that was their each other's main feud for 2008. I know, but I'm trying to think yeah. of what happened. I'm trying to think of what happened after the fact. Uh Oh, after. Yeah. After the feud was <laughs> over. Cause I know the, that no mercy was the blow off. No. Oh, no mercy. Survivor no, Series the blow they off. had a last, they had a last man standing match after that. Oh, okay. But it, but was it for the title? I don't believe so. Hmm. Oh, let's see. see. Uh, let's see. In case y'all don't know, we do a lot of on-the-fly research here at Movement Radio. Right. Let's see. So they had a ladder match at No Mercy. They had the ladder match at No Mercy. Yeah. I swear it stops. It was no mercy when Jericho won. You sure? I, they had, I swear they had a last man standing match that Jericho won. Was it on a was Raw, that, maybe? Was that before? Was it at a Cyber Sunday? You think maybe they Hold did? On. Hold on. You said a last. Oh, crap. Did you say a last. Whoa, what is going on with my phone? Last man standing match. Uh, give me a second. I got it. <laughs> no more. 2008 was a ladder match. 2000. Uh, WrestleMania 19. Unforgiven. Uh, 2000. Unforgiven 2008 was an unsanctioned match. Yep. November 10th. Last man standing match was on Raw. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Chris Jericho lost this the title to a- Batista at uh, Cyber Sunday. Yeah. Yes, their last but- match was at Judgment Day. Which was after Survivor Series, wasn't it? No, it says no. Uh, many. Uh, the final match of the 2008 series between Jericho and Shawn was the last main standage in November on Raw. Okay. It was an, it was in, when they were doing their London tour, actually. Oh, and um, JBL, the finish was JBL hitting Shawn Michaels with a steel chair. Um, and that moves JBL and Shawn Michaels into a program and then John Cena and Jericho. Because John Cena returned from injury. And, yeah, and then Jericho lost the strap to him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Judgment, <laughs> Judgment Day 2008 was a technical wrestling match. Hmm. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, Either way, I mean, the heel turn was, I mean, I thought the heel turn was great. And the fact that it set up some of the best work of Jericho's career was, I mean, 
definitely it definitely ranks up there. The whole you know Jericho wearing the suit and being very Nick Bockwinkle type. Um, and, uh, he often credits, uh, the movie, No Country for Old Men, um, as an inspiration for that, for that character. Yeah. Um, so, and if you've never seen the movie, Old Country for, uh, No Country for Old Men, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, it's an interesting movie. Um, yeah. So but, do you guys know, do you guys know when the last time HBK and Shawn Michaels actually wrestled each other? Mm, no. When? when HBK and Shawn Michaels wrestled each other? When HBK, sorry, and Jericho. <laughs> no. Their last match together was on Raw, March 15th, 2010. Um, it was actually a few weeks before Shawn Michaels officially retired before coming back to do the horrible Saudi show. Oh, oh shit. It was his third to last match, um, and they wrestled each other. If I remember correctly, it wasn't that bad of a match. Well, I mean, it was Jericho and Shawn, so... Yeah, but I mean, they both were pretty well into their prime at this point. Yeah, but shit, I mean, Sean, uh, aside from that Saudi show, because that was just shit altogether, uh, and I don't think it was his fault, uh, he can still go. Yeah. He just chooses not to. And Jericho's, man, he, he thinks he can still go. Uh, At the same well, pace he went. Yeah, he, he's got to change it up just a little bit uh, to keep keep up with the times. He's not going to be able to do those high spots for very much longer. He can still hit the line salt, though. So props to him for doing that in his 50s, you know. But nevertheless, let's move on to the next one. You got it, Raj? Do I? Yeah, yes, number you got eight. It. Man, I don't even. Okay, let me get it. <laughs> <laughs> He's just. I mean, was this really that surprising, though? Yeah. Let me let me get into it. Um, well, it, it just says eight. epic kill turns. It doesn't say surprise. It just says epic. But go ahead. I, I yeah. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I get it, but I mean. Yeah, number eight on the list: Andre the Giant turns on Hulk. Hogan. Um, Hulk Hogan was often at the center of shocking heel turns. While he was often protected, anyone else was willing and ready to turn against him. No turn better defined WWE than that of Andre the Giant in 1987. When the undefeated big man grew jealous of the attention, Hogan continued to get as a champion. He chose to walk out on him, letting Bobby the Brain Heenan speak for him, one of the greatest managers ever. Um, the Brain explained... Andre's frustration, which broke the Hulkster's heart. Hogan pleaded with his friend, only for Andre to rip his shirt and pull off his crucifix, leaving a scratch on his chest from the powerful strike. By today's standard, it wasn't the most exciting turn, but it became an iconic moment. No one was ready for just how big Hogan and WWE would become when the climatic match happened at WrestleMania 3. The body slam heard around the world left Hogan as champion and created the finest star in WWE's pantheon of ledges because Hogan didn't know how to drop the title anybody because he's a selfish bitch ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen the opinions expressed on movement radio are not necessary (laughs) oh am I wrong though Uh, no I mean (sighs) who did Hogan never push no 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 you got a point you you got a point (laughs) 
Kevin Nash. <laughs> Finger poke doom, brother. But wasn't Kevin Nash booking at that time? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so he did. So Hogan did. <laughs> he Hogan Hogan. <laughs> yeah. I remember this, you know, going back and watching highlights and shit. Because obviously, I was like one years old when this shit happened. If I wasn't even, if I was even one when it happened, um, I remember, you know, Andre looking at him and saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a challenge you to the for the world heavyweight championship at WrestleMania, and Hogan like. No, brother, don't do it, brother. Like, why the fuck would you tell him no? Like, like I get it. He's Andre the Giant. He's your best friend, or he's he's somebody you looked up to, or whatever. Whatever the case was, I don't even give a shit. If you're the champion, you got to take on all comers. You got to take on anybody who stepped. You can't be afraid of anybody. Oh, because this is, what would you want Andre to do? Yeah, Hogan, I want to be champion, but you know what? Since you have the belt and we're good friends, go ahead. You can do all you can do, buddy. No, nah, fuck you. I want the title. You know, I'm sure. I mean, but having Bobby the Brain Heenan with, you know, which I think it was more of a more of a more of a situation was like that was more. If it was just Andre saying, "Hey, Hogan, I'm undefeated. I want a shot at the title," but the fact that Bobby the Brain Heenan was the one who spoke up for Andre, and it made that like. You know, is it was Hogan saying no from the standpoint that he didn't want to face Andre, or no from the standpoint that the brain manipulated the giant in such a way? You know, um, you know, and I'm, I don't know. What do you got, Chip? What are you thinking about this one? Uh, I mean, did it really set Hogan up as the the next biggest star in WWE? I don't wasn't think he so. already? But, but but wasn't he already I, the biggest star in WWE at this point? That's that's what I'm saying. Um, I, I do believe that it, it was a way to give Andre that last that, that last big hoorah. Because uh, I mean, we all know that Andre's health was declining, and he would die uh, an untimely death just a few years after this, right? Um, <clears throat> but I, I really feel like this was more to give Andre that last last hoorah than it was to set Hogan up as the next big guy. Um, at, at this point, Hogan was already the guy, right? You know, this was the, this was the, um, they, I, I was listening to, um, I was listening to, um, I think it was kayfabe comment. It was either kayfabe commentaries. It was one of those other shoot video. It could have been our video. I don't know. Um, but I was listening to a, an interview that they did with Al Snow and Al Snow talked about, as a matter of fact, it was Kayfabe Commentaries. He, he, they were talking about, you know, he had made the comment that he doesn't believe that uh, Steamboat and Macho Man was the best match at WrestleMania. Three, it was Hogan versus Andre because they're the ones who sold the most tickets, you know. Um, and where I can understand where he's coming from in terms of business, like that did the most business. From a fan perspective, as far as like action packed, like showing like work rate and things of that nature, you would want to say, yeah, I enjoyed um, the Macho Man Steamboat match more, even though Hogan and Andre were the main event, you know, then they sold the most tickets to, I guess that equates to them having the match that people wanted to see, even though work rate wise, it wasn't exactly the best. Does that make sense? 
Yes, uh, I, I get what he's saying. Uh, people paid to come see Hogan Andre, but they left talking about Steamboat Savage. That's right. that's that's the difference in match of the night versus like the match people paid to see. Right. Like, I, I I kind of I kind of equate it like if you look at Wrestle, let's say you look at WrestleMania three, um, as a meal. Okay, let's just look at it from this way. And you see this big-ass steak, okay? This big-ass 20-ounce sirloin, this big, juicy fucking steak. And you're like, I want that steak and everything that comes with it, right? So you get the steak, but you also get some, I don't know, maybe you get some asparagus. Maybe you get this uh, nice little uh, cheesecake as a dessert or whatever. But they give you this big-ass, you know, fucking uh, baked potato, right? And it's got cream cheese and chives. It's got all the good, you know, everything you want on it. So you eat the whole meal and you think, damn, that baked potato was the best damn baked potato I ever ate in my life. That baked potato was so amazing. Well, how'd you like the steak? The steak was good. I liked the steak. But, man, I really, really, really love that baked potato. Okay. In this scenario, Hulk Hogan and Andre was the steak. Ricky Steamboat and Macho Man was the baked potato. You may have liked the baked potato more. But the reason you ordered the meal was because of the steak. And that steak was Hogan and Andre. Is that, do you understand the analogy? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Uh, but like I said, you know, uh, people paid to see Andre Hogan, but left talking about Steamboat Savage. Right. That's Which that's is why that match is held in such higher esteem. You know, even though the moment of Hogan slamming Andre is the is a defining moment for the company that match in a lot of people's eyes between ricky steamboat and, and savage was the better overall match um as far as the heel turn is concerned though the heel turn itself was kind of i won't say lackluster because bobby the brain heenan kind of made it bigger than what it was i think but you know it definitely made for some good you know, it, it definitely gave it an extra oomph. I mean, I'm pretty sure people was going to see Hogan versus Andre at Mania anyway, but Brain being in there to provide that extra uh, gravitas and that extra heat factor definitely played a big role in it. Right. You good, Raj? Yeah. Okay. I was just listening to you defend Hogan. Yeah. I'm not defending Hogan. <laughs> I'm not defending Hogan. I'm Because I firmly believe, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously, we, we, no one thought that Andre was going to win the championship. Although it would have been an interesting story, you know, give give you know give Andre one you know one run with the title, maybe not even a run, just a victory with the title. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, he hell he could have lost it, you know, the next night or the next pay per view or whatever. Um, it would have been nice. Nevertheless, let's move on to the next one. This one's a pretty interesting one. Uh, you got it, Chip. Uh unfortunately i do yeah uh and i'll explain why <laughs> uh next up we're going to talk about a deal with the devil deal with the devil so never assume you truly know anything for certain in wrestling stone cold steve austin had defined himself for so long by battling against vince mcmahon the rivalry was legendary am i right very much so yes yeah i mean yeah <laughs> yeah so approaching wrestlemania 17 in 2001, the Texas Rattlesnake began to doubt himself, and he made a deal that no one could have possibly expected. He chose to align himself with Vince McMahon, his former nemesis. 
Uh, Mr. McMahon helped Austin defeat The Rock on the grandest stage of them all, stopping the Brahma Bull from getting the pinfall and handing Stone Cold the chair he used to win. It's an iconic moment in WWE that remains one of the most shocking heel turns in the business. While it was a powerful moment, its aftermath is varied. A heel Austin should have dominated the business, but a lack of consistent storytelling doomed him to fall by the wayside in the last run of his career. Um, I have I have lots of opinions about this. Um, I think it was probably the worst move they could have made at the time. Um, you know, you just you took your biggest baby face, and I get they're trying to make the Rock uh, the the next guy. Although the Rock was already made at this point, in my opinion, um, and, and you you took the the biggest baby face of the company. And you aligned him with the one guy that he had hated for, what? Years. Years? His whole career, pretty much? Right. Um, and the uh, let's be honest, the fans shit all over this. Uh, and still and to should've. this... Yes, and still to this day. Like, I understand that they, they wanted The Rock to be the next big baby face. Um and they didn't think that he would be able to ascend to that level without Austin turning heel uh, because they had such a, a legendary feud as well. Um, yeah, but considering I that they was, were the, yeah, they were in the main event of WrestleMania 15 as well. They main evented three of them. Three of them. Yeah, but at yeah. this yeah, but at this point when the heel turn took place, they only had two. Yeah. Right. Um, but. I just think it was it was poorly timed. It was the the wrong way to do it. Like if you wanted to turn Austin heel, fine, turn him heel. But aligning him with Vince McMahon at this point in his career was a very poor decision, in my opinion. It was poor for the fact that it doesn't make sense to begin with, and then them trying to make Austin corporate Austin makes no sense, and everything he did as a part of that group, it was goofy. It made him look stupid. 100%. Consider, considering the fact that didn't the Alliance story, uh, the, the the WCW ECW invasion happened right after this? Because also at that same WrestleMania, WrestleMania 17 was also when Vince and Shane had their match after because they needed one more extra kick to that match because on the Monday before that Mania, Shane, quote unquote, bought WCW out from underneath Vince, you know, and you see the aerial shot of the quote unquote WCW wrestlers. And let's be honest, if you wasn't a fan of WCW and you look up in the crowd and you see those WCW fans wrestlers, you could maybe pick out maybe one or two guys that you probably recognize and name probably. But there weren't no WCW, quote unquote, big WCW names up there. Sting wasn't up there. You know, Holland Nash wasn't up there at the time. Steiner wasn't up there. Flair wasn't up there, like Mysterio, like all the names that were the most. Uh, Booker most, T, Booker sir. T wasn't, well, no, he wasn't even up, up there. They had a bunch of, they had like Sean Stasiak and Chuck Palumbo and all like the natural born, all the natural born thrillers were probably up there, which was about it. Um, the best ones. Well, well some of the best ones. <laughs> um, Sean O'Hara, God rest his soul. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was just an extra thing for that match particularly 
I definitely think that the the the, the heel turn, which had they done it after Mania, it would have been a different story. If if they'd have done it, because maybe it could have been a story where Austin barely squeaked out a win, and now he's worried that he could possibly lose it to The Rock, so he turns heel just to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And if he wanted to align himself with somebody else at that point, that would have been okay. But the way that they did it, and it wasn't the... I think if he'd have turned heel at Mania, it wouldn't have been bad. It was the person who he turned heel with. His nemesis. The one person who you never thought would have happened. Because what eventually happened, when that moment happened, you had WCW fans who were fans of WCW and ECW fans all turning into this pay-per-view, you know, and the WWF fans who didn't want this to happen, once it happened, it's not like they could go to WCW or ECW. They just turned the channel off. They just don't, they just turned away from being fans from that perspective because it was the one thing they didn't want to see happen. It's kind of like the Von Erics in World Class when, you know, they when they found out that they weren't the good Christian All-American boys that they were, you know, and, you know, it turned it turned them against them, you know. I it, in looking at it back now, if if you could have done it differently, The Rock The Rock was gonna be a big time star regardless of whether or not he was the top babyface or not. I mean, he eventually grew into being the top babyface in the year in in nine in the in uh, you know, two thousand two, two thousand three, I mean, he was definitely which, which hell, technically he was already an established guy at that point because in the year two thousand, him and Triple H traded titles a couple of times, traded the, the WWE title a couple of times, you know. So, yeah, definitely, if if you look back at it in hindsight, yeah, this was pretty pretty horrible heel turn, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. Who's got the next one? Is it me? That's nah, me. Oh. Well, there you go. You got another rock one. <laughs> got another rock Yo. one. Speaking of the rock, the next one is Rocky Maivia becomes the rock. Only one era had two true bona fide mainstream faces of the company. And the attitude era was driven by Stone Cold Steve Austin and the rock brilliant. And they carried the company brilliantly along the way. He would, have, he would have not done so if he had not turned on the fans when he did. Rocky Maivia had wrestled in his had wrestling in his blood, but the crowd hated him. The vile chants of die, Rocky, die, perpetrated through the whole uh, arena. After a serious injury in, in 1997, he returned with a new look and a new attitude. The Rock declared, uh, uh, declared the fans for everything. Uh, everything that they have said about him. He denounced them and aligned himself with the nation of domination. What came next is part of WWE history. Step by step, he took over the stable and soon WWE as a whole. It was an incredible turn at the perfect time, creating a star no one would forget. This may not have I. This may not have an iconic beatdown or double cross, but it was a huge turning point for the company and The Rock. The fans had changed him, and he was never going back. And that's something that's happened a lot 
in in most of the time, most cases, where if you start off as a, if you win the title as a babyface, and I'm not talking about in this situation, but I'm just using this as an example. If you win a championship as a babyface, and then maybe your act becomes a bit stale, or maybe you're not in, you're not engaging with the audience like you thought you would have. A heel turn is the perfect thing that can make that you can reinvent yourself and make the fans who already hate you hate you even more. Although in today's day and age, it backfires because they, they they cheer for the heels in some cases, but that's a different story in itself. Do you you guys remember this? It was like it, it was the first instance that I can remember of like a slow burn heel turn. Does that make sense? Um, I'm trying to think a slow burn. I don't know. Shawn Michaels was, I mean, not Shawn Michaels, but Bret Hart was a slow burn one. Yeah, Bret Hart. Yeah, Bret Hart was as well. But I'm talking about from the standpoint that, you know, he came out 1997. He had the funky pineapple hair and <clears throat> the uh, the traditional Samoan, you know, gear and things of that nature. Um, Had a good, you know, had, you know, had good matches and things of that nature. And he was, you know, he was trying to be the, the typical baby face, you know, smiling baby face. And the fans just weren't buying it they just weren't they were not jiving with it um came back being part of the nation of domination slowly infiltrating i remember the night that he did the eyebrow for the very first time the iconic rocks eyebrow and then then became the leader of the nation of domination and winning the intercontinental title having that great ladder match with triple h at SummerSlam 98 and propelled him into the uh championship title picture you know and then having the freedom to be able to be creative on the microphone and having the ability to be able to cut these amazing funny ass promos that were just just you know you know i want you to take this one particular object shine it up real nice turn that some bitch sideways and do what stick it straight up your monkey candy ass yeah i mean but definitely the hill turn definitely was one of those i mean could, could you imagine you try, do you doing your best to get over with the audience and they just chant die rocky die that's gotta fuck with you in some cases, right? Oh, I, I I definitely think it would. I mean, you know, you're you're supposed to be this this big baby face, you know, the third generation star, and these people don't give two shits about you. They're like, man, I just want this dude to go away. Like, what if he was to die today, it wouldn't bother me at all, and. Uh, you know, that wears, I, I would say that that would wear your brain very, very thin, you know, <clears throat> and, uh, I mean, that's the response I want every time I go out there. Right. But this, yeah, but as a like, heel, yeah, I get it. But a baby face. Oh, somebody did John Cena just want a reaction. Yeah. I mean, nowadays that works, but I mean, back in 1997, you know, people still gave a shit a little bit about the business in terms of storytelling. Um, but I mean, you kind of seen it with Roman. You definitely seen it with Cena. Um, although they never pulled the trigger on a Cena Hill turn. Um, yet. Well, well, technically he's, he started as a heel and then it, he got so popular as a heel. He turned to real. Well, te- no, technically, he, well, technically he started as, um, just a regular, might we, you know, regular white meat baby face, the prototype, you know, the prototype gimmick, yeah, it's ruthless aggression, right? And then ended up flipping him to uh, doing the the hip hop gimmick, which was pretty much a hill gimmick. Um, you know, then we getting to work with the Undertaker and getting to work with Kurt Angle and 
you know, which Cena, I mean, if you go back and watch some of those matches, now granted, he was in the ring with good ring generals, but he did damn good as a heel, I thought, you know, and then he leaned into more of an anti-hero kind of, almost that tweener role, which where, which I mean, he was he he was still getting a few boos, but definitely getting more cheered. Winning the U.S. title at WrestleMania 20 was like almost like a moment. I think that was the height of his. Um, I won't say the height of his baby baby face. His first, uh, almost like the accumulate. Okay, he's no longer tweener. Like he's a full fledged baby face now, you know. And then winning the WWE Championship at uh, 21, yay! And then he just held on to the belt forever and is like, all right, we want somebody new. What the fuck is this? Let's go, Cena. Cena sucks. You know that whole bullshit. I mean, they say that, and we get somebody new, and they boo the shit out of them. So right, fickle, <clears throat> fickle, 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 fickle. Right, but anyway, yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, the the, the definitely a a big, big, big. You know, again, a slow burn hill turn where you knew it was coming. You knew that the hill. You knew the hill turn was going to happen. But you wasn't expecting it to be, you weren't expecting The Rock to be the one, you know, to come out of the nation as the guy, you know. I mean, not on the level of a Steve Austin, but yeah, I mean, he elevated himself and he grinded to get to that spot, you know, and he and he got there, you know. Oh yeah, I and mean, now he, he's he now he's there. one of the most now he's one of the most you know famous people in the world, you know. I think he's the most famous person in the world now. Yeah, probably. I mean, does 140 movies a day, <laughs> right? How, like, how do you have time to do that schedule? You know, work out like a fucking sleep. madman, and also, you know, be able to have time for you know for your family and things of that nature, and have time to, you know, like I mean, when does this man? I don't believe the man sleeps. He sleeps three hours a day. Yeah, from twelve to three, wakes up, eats his huge breakfast, then goes work out. Yep. Then goes to the movie set. Man, this man's posted his schedule every year for social on social media, and it's ridiculous. But hey, if I get paid millions of dollars like he did, right? Don't need sleep right now. You sleep when you're dead, right? That's that's what I say all the time. <sighs> It's that whole thing. Like, if I got paid to work out like he did, I'd, I'd work out every day, too. Right. Yep. All right. So, that being said, let's move on to the next one. <laughs> Roger, you got it? Of course I do. <laughs> um, the next one is the Mega Powers Implode. Brother. So, iconic heels turn at the expense of Hulk Hogan were common. Oh, sorry, Bert. Were common in WWE. No one could touch the crown jewel of the company because a big baby was holding on to it for a dear life. So even popular stars such as Macho Man Randy Savage had to turn to make a true main event push, even though they were better. The Mega Powers fell victim to that in 1989. Hogan and Savage had been unstoppable, and the two biggest stars in the business had fans on their feet. However, jealousy then began to come into play. The Macho Man was often protective and possessive of his then wife, Miss Elizabeth. When he began to suspect that the hoaxer was interested in her, he was unplayed nice. He knew that the hoaxer had lusted his eyes for Miss Elizabeth, and he slapped his teammate and started a feud that turned into one of the best matches of the era at WrestleMania 5. This moment solidified Hogan's position at the top of the industry. Even Savage could never dethrone him. He did end up 
earning future opportunities near the top, but the face of the business was always the big baby. The only person who could stop Hogan was Father Time. Though politics and money played a unique role. I mean... I mean... <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you can't tell, uh, there's a huge disdain for Hogan here. Um, not that it's unwarranted by any means. Um, like, I, I, I don't... I, I've never understood... Like, he's probably one of if not the biggest name in pro wrestling history uh but it's it, it was all built on the backs of other men because he simply refused to make new stars per se right i mean cuz at that time I mean, think of think of all the i mean you had like at wrestlemania 1 I mean, yeah, I mean, what was the main event? It was Hogan and Mr. T, you know, against... Uh, Versus you know, Piper. Piper and Orndorff, yeah. You know, Piper, you know, was, you know... that. I, here's the funny thing. The, the one thing I remember about the main event wasn't has anything to do with Hulk Hogan. It was Roddy Piper and Mr. T looking at each other. Fighting. Getting ready to fight, fighting you know. Other. I don't remember anything from Hogan WrestleMania 1. WrestleMania 2, mm-hmm. the only thing I remember from WrestleMania 2 was the deal with, you know, him and King Kong Bundy. Um, Kayfabe Contary actually did a, a a sit down interview before King Kong Bunny passed away. God rest his soul. He was he talked about how Hogan looked at his check, his uh his uh paper his WrestleMania check, and it was five hundred thousand dollars. He walked into Vince McMahon's office and said, "Where's the rest of it?" And he stayed in Vince's office until Vince wrote him another check for the other fifty thousand or five hundred thousand. And he was like, "Damn, wish I had the balls to do something like that." That's the issue with giving somebody creative control, right? I mean, you mean I, I think that I think that we're allowed to. Ha- I think that we can have input with a lot of things, but if you have a show and you, but you basically what you're doing is you're playing somebody's. You're, you're basically performing somebody's vision is what it is. But basically, what it boils down to, Vince McMahon had a particular vision. And he had to pick the right people to be that vision. Unfortunately, he picked somebody who did not want to go with his exact vision, but his version of Vince's vision, if that makes any sense. Um, that would be like that would be like somebody directing a movie, and the, one of the actors says, "Well, I want to do it this way. I don't want to do it the way that it says in the script." Well, no, you have to do it the way that it says in the script. Well, then I'm not doing the movie. Okay, then fuck you. I'll find somebody else to play your part. Uh, It's happened before where an actor's gotten director's fire. Say what now? It's happened before where actors get director's fire. Right. And a lot of... Give me an example. I've never heard of one. uh, I'm going to have to look it up real quick. But it's happened a lot of times. That was one of the things. Yeah, and I was going to say, um, a, a lot of times actors will... Uh, throw in and take away stuff from the script on the fly. Uh, one of the most iconic ones um, was like Matthew McConaughey in um, D- Dazed and Confused. Right. Uh, you know the we all know Matthew McConaughey's signature. All right. Uh, all right. All right. Yep. Yep. That wasn't in the script. 
that was that was completely ad lib and the director decided to keep it in there when it was on the cutting room floor and it ended up being you know the the one thing that kind of made Matthew McConaughey who he was so I I get to a point like ad-libbing and stuff but to to 100% completely hold up uh your boss and say look I'm not doing the shit that you um said I'm gonna do it my way period that's uh a little out there to me yeah might be like, it's one thing to say, hey, can we do a compromise? Or, hey, can we do it this way? How do you feel about this? And have a conversation and be creative with each other. Instead of me working for you, let me work with you kind of a, kind of a deal. But, and, and, I, and, that, and that's the thing about the wrestling industry as a whole is that most of the time the, the promoter will promote, the booker will be like, all right, listen, this is, this, this is the match. Um, this, this guy's going over on this guy. This is what I want the finish to be. What, it, however you lead, whatever you do during the match, just make sure it leads up to this finish, and then you pretty much have the creative freedom to do whatever you want within the confines of the match, as long as the finished product, as long as the the, the product ends with that particular vision. Because if it doesn't end exactly the way that it wants to, then the the booker or whoever has to come up with another way to spin it, another way to create. So you're adding more work to, to, to somebody's vision to which right. you can just do that specific, you know, that's that specific, you know, outcome, you know, so you just do the outcome, you know, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's wrestling, you know, I mean, I think Savage would have made a good, I mean, what would, what would have been the harm if Savage went over on Hogan? You know what I mean? Like, what would have been the big harm? Hogan would have got less less money. Yeah, but yeah. couldn't have had that. Well, well, right? Yeah, God forbid, Hogan. Man. He was making more money than anybody else in the company or anybody else in probably wrestling at the time. Um, but yeah. So you ready for me to tell you actors who've gotten directors fired? Yep, hit us with a couple. So um, they're in. Uh, 1976, the Directors Guild implemented a strict guideline aimed at protecting the financial and creative rights of its members. So, we, so it started in 1976. Um, this rule became known as the Eastwood Rule because of Clint Eastwood. So Clint Eastwood actually got um, director Philip Kaufman fired from the outlaw Josie Wales. Um, Clint Eastwood actually directed it himself and... Um, what was it? Uh, they let Kaufman keep the screenwriting credit, but Clint Eastwood got him fired. Um, he just thought he was too slow, wanted to pick up the pace and just keep doing it himself. Um, Gone with the Wind, its original director was uh, dismissed. Uh, rumor was that Clark Gable did not like him, uh, but they never actually said it outright. Then Kurt Douglas got the original director uh uh, Spartacus fired Anthony Mann and he later became um, Stanley Kubrick's film and I bet you he didn't like it after that. Uh, Val Kilmer got uh, what's his name? Richard Stanley fired from The Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, Kevin Costner got Kevin Reynolds fired from Waterworld and actually directed himself. 
which is a big disaster. Uh, what world? This was a horrible movie anyway. Well, that's because Kevin Costner took it over, never directed anything, and they went over budget horribly. Yeah. Uh, which is weird because Japan, um, Japan's Universal Studio actually has a whole section for Waterworld, and it's their biggest attraction. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. I, the concept of the movie Waterworld was great. Amazing. Yeah. But mm, the... Uh, the outcome of it was not so good. <laughs> right. Uh, so Burt Reynolds got the... Uh, he technically didn't get the director of Heat fired, but he punched him in the face and the director <laughs> actually sued for $25 million. Uh, Which is weird because he got... He actually got convinced to come back to direct the movie. And then he fell from a camera crane and was hospitalized. Well, shit. Uh, yeah, it's... That was a setup. Uh, <laughs> Burt <laughs> Lancaster uh, got the director for the train. Uh, World War II drama fired. Uh... Man, I don't even know when that happened. That was super old. And then Gloria Swanson got the director for... uh, Eric Von Stroheim was the director. This was during silent film era. She got the director fired back in 1928. So, I mean, there's been some, but now there's a rule, obviously, to stop that from happening. So now actors can't force the hand of it happening, but it still probably happens. I think it happens more often than not, and people just don't see it, probably. Uh, yeah. So. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. Yeah. We're done talking about Hogan. I hope. Uh, yeah, we, right we should now. be done have to talk about it. No, we're not, actually. Um, but before we do, uh, we've got a sponsor okay. for you guys. This is Chip Hazard for Movement Radio. And have you ever wanted to start your own podcast? Well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. They have their own creation tools that allow you to record and edit straight from your phone or computer. They will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcast from. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast. Podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Uh, thank you to our uh, sponsor, Anchor, for that ad. Uh, we're going to move right into the next up on the list. So we're going to talk about, talk about the Barbershop Superkick. Um, so WWE has been chasing moments such as the fateful Barbershop turn for decades. It's not often that a tag team can break up like this and launch a career. Shawn Michaels turned on Rocker's teammate Marty Jannetty on Brutus the Barber Beefcake's barbershop, hurling him through a window. This unforgettable moment showed everyone that HBK was not just a high-flying pretty boy. He was a dangerous, egocentric opportunist. Jannetty would go on to manage a fine career, but 
but did he really? Um, I mean, I don't he, think had, he won I mean, a lot of mid card titles. Yeah, I mean, he won the Intercontinental title from yeah, Shawn Michaels, I think. Yeah, but he didn't. Uh, I don't know about good, but he he they tried to capitalize on it, but it just didn't work yeah. out like they wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> but next to the incredible run of Shawn Michaels, he was forgotten not too long after he went through that window in '92. Michaels went to become one of the WWE's greatest. Some would argue he is the greatest. The Oof. Rockers may have been a good tag team, but this moment changed everything. No breakup in history has resonated this much. No moment has ever been this clear and loud. HBK had arrived. It was one of those issues. It was one of those deals where, like, we kind of seen it coming. Even though we didn't want to see, even though we didn't, because I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the Rockers, they were definitely a, they were a, a very, very, very popular tag team. Um, yeah, but the issue is they were the jobber tag team. Yeah. They were not the, they weren't like, I mean, they did quote unquote win the tag titles. It was a Phantom Championship run um, when they beat the Hart Foundation, but they had to retape it and then they ended up, because the top rope broke and they ended up retaping it. And then, you know, they just let the hearts keep the belts, which was really weird to me that they did that. Right. Yeah. I, I never did understand that one, but I mean, they had the reasons. Uh, I don't understand the reasons, but they were there. Yeah. I mean, maybe they were like, they were like, Oh, maybe that's a sign not to let the job and team finally get some success or something. I don't know. But I mean, the Rockers were, really good tag team like they both were like both their styles meshed well together enough to where they made sense as a team and they could they were easily over with the fans so i don't understand why they had such a crappy like run right exactly i think a lot of, i think a lot of people looked at the rockers because did both of them start i know Shawn michael started off in the awa um uh was did Sean him didn't him? Well, he did not start off in the AWA, but that was like his first big break was when he went to the AWA. Um, um, did he wrestle in the Sportatorium? Yes. Did he? I'm pretty sure he did. Okay. Because I know Austin did. I know, you know, a lot of guys from Texas started in the Sportatorium. I I just don't remember if um, Michaels ever did or if he, you know, I don't know if he wrestled. I know he wrestled, got a start in Texas. I don't know if he wrestled in the Sportatorium, but anybody who was anybody normally wrestled in the Sportatorium. Um. Uh, but yeah, but I, I kind of think of that, and, and, and some people have made this comparison before, is that the Rockers and the WWE were the answer to the Rock and Roll Express in WCW, NWA. Well, I mean, so Sean actually started in, in the NWA. Um, he, he started in the Mid-South Territory. There you go, Mid-South. Yeah. So did uh, so did Genetti, but they were on different. Like the, the I hate that they said Mid South because it's such a big region, right? Uh, and then in '85 he debuted for World Class Championship Wrestling at the Sportatorium. There you go. Uh, another NWA territory. He left there um, in '85 and went to Texas All Star Wrestling, and he uh, replaced Nick Kenit. Kaniski in the uh, American Breed Tag Team, teaming with Paul Diamond 
um and then he left there in 86 and went to the awa and then from so, there he went to the wwf so janetti and michael started teaming in late 85 um when they were wrestling in the central states wrestling uh which was part of the nwa yeah they were the but, midnight rockers yeah and that's when they became a team so from 85 till 92 yeah <laughs> so i mean they they had been together for a very long time but the fact that they like i mean they're obviously easily over but i i don't understand like i just don't guess I, they weren't being stale but obviously sean wanted to go ahead and do his own thing right right but i think the fact that he did the super kick i think if he had just left it at the super kick i don't think it would have had the impact that it did he almost like he had to throw him through the window and at that time in 1990, uh, in 1992, that was very, would we say attitude era-esque type shit? Like that was some shit that you didn't really see. Like somebody throwing somebody through a window. Like that was almost like a WWE slowly taking a chance with doing something but i mean if, if this hill turn is going to be what they want it to be if you want this you know high flying pretty boy to be a dangerous egocentric opportunist biggest asshole heel he could possibly be then that's something that you're going to have to do and they 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 did it and i think it had i think had him not get, getting thrown into the window i don't think it would have had as much impact as it did Exactly. I I agree, one hundred percent there. Yeah. Roger. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I didn't know if y'all had anything to follow up on. No, I mean, yeah, we already went over what we thought beforehand, and yeah, you pretty much summed it up for us too. There you go. All right. Well, let's move on to the very next one, and it's probably from from from. An ama- not a lackluster WrestleMania, but this was probably the best match of that WrestleMania. And we're talking about the legendary double turn between Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, when Hulkamania ended, Bret Hart was left to try to pick up the pieces. He did an admirable job and is considered one of the WWE's greatest. But he could never be the marketing sensation that Hulk Hogan was. In order to compensate, WWE shifted focus in what is one of the first true moments of the Attitude Era, which is Bret Hart turning against America. The first act was against the man who did manage to take Hogan's place at the top of the business in a brutal submission match at WrestleMania 13. Excuse me. Hart pulled no punches against Steve Austin even after he started bleeding profusely. I think we can all remember that iconic image of him. It wasn't really profusely. It, it, was, it, was, it was a gusher. He made him pass out to the sharpshooter, winning by referee stoppage. Afterwards, he attacked an unconscious rattlesnake until special guest referee Ken Shamrock stopped him. Double turns are a rare moment in wrestling, but none have been as impactful as Bret Hart versus Steve Austin. While this slide 
is focused on the hitman becoming the heel. Steve Austin benefited far more from this moment and went on to become a household name. Hart did define the business in many in a variety of ways, though including one of the biggest moments in professional wrestling history. This was a like what the blurb said. It was a rarity of a double heel turn taking place. Um, obviously, I think we're all, I think we all had this match at least. At least I think we all like at least in our top twenty, top fifteen around that area. In terms of greatest for, matches in WrestleMania. Oh, okay. I was like, for a word. <laughs> greatest yeah. matches in WrestleMania. Um, I don't know. It's a lot of WrestleMania. It's a lot of WrestleMania's, right. Um, <laughs> so a crap ton of WrestleMania's nowadays. And there's a crap ton of Manias. There's also some crappy Manias. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that list on another episode soon. Um, that being said, though, this match um, with the double turn, how are you guys feeling about this one? Oh, uh, I- it wasn't even something. I'm not sure that they planned the double turn. I don't think so uh, at all. It was just one of those things where uh, Austin was the heel at the time, Brett was the baby face, and you kind of felt it throughout the match. Like the fans started, you know, man, this Austin dude is really like that's our guy, and it was like. Boom, boom, boom. And by the end of the match, they were like, fuck yeah. Like, you know, not chanting, you know, Austin, Austin, Austin. But there was a resounding a resounding cheer for him and a boo for Brett. Uh, and it was, it, I, it's one of those moments that has often been tried, often tried to been duplicated. Um, but just. I can only think of one time that's actually been successful since then. I mean, there's been a couple that I know of, but only one time I can think it's been successful, and that's uh, Rock and Hogan. Yeah. Right. But, again, I don't believe that that one was... Um, it wasn't planned at all. It wasn't it planned at all. No, it happened uh, at all. Yeah, The Rock was just smart enough to realize what was happening and went with it. But are any double turns actually planned? Because I don't think so. Because, I mean, the other one I can think of off the top of my head is Del Rio Ziggler. And that one, Ziggler just busted his ass for years, and people loved him for it. Yeah, and then Del Rio, they just, they they turned him heel out of spite. It wasn't necessarily anything. He, that, but his character is a heel to be. Like I don't understand how they thought his character was going to be a face to begin with. He was an uh, aristocratic foreigner. Yeah, he was. He was. He was the. Um, he was basically the Latino version of JBL. Basically, he was yeah. the Mexican version of he JBL. Yeah, he came out um, with the scarf. He came out with the cars. He had his own ring announcer. How was he a face at all? <laughs> like, right. I don't understand that. The, there, yeah. there, there's, there's one other one. I don't know if you guys have ever watched it, but it was an episode of SmackDown a long time ago. Definitely pre, obviously, because it was a long time. I, I can't remember if it was in the early part of the 2000s or it was, it was definitely before 2007. Was it the Rock Hurricane? No. Um, well, well, no, no, that wasn't it. No. It was uh, Chris Benoit. It was Chris Benoit against Matt Hardy. Oh, it was Hardy. Chris Benoit versus Matt uh, Hardy. I remember, and I remember Hardy came in as the heel. Benoit was the baby face. And they had a match that lasted like three segments. And by the end of the match, ben, like Benoit won, obviously, you know, 
and I won't even say it's a double turn. And maybe this might be a bad example. It wasn't really necessarily a double turn where they booed Benoit, but after the match, it's almost like um, after the match, the fans just applauded Matt Hardy, I guess, for the efforts and just putting up just a great performance. But he turned yeah. face afterwards. So yeah, I, I don't it, think it was a double turn. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so that so that that that's probably a bad example of a double turn. It, that was definitely more of like a more like a it was the sympathetic baby feel. At yeah. That point. Yeah, the heel getting the fucking, um, I mean, beating the shit the baby at that point. Yeah, I mean, well, hell, I mean, if you if you're wrestling Chris Benoit, you know, two thousand three, two thousand four, yeah, you're getting shit bit out of you, um, right. But but I really I really can't think of many double, uh, obviously double turns they can't be planned. There's no way you can organically make it see, like you can't plan it to happen and make it organically seem that way. Like it just happened, right? And like the the that one, uh, Brett Stone Cold, uh, Rock Hogan and Ziggler Del Rio are the only ones I can actually think of. I can't think of any other ones. Not that organic. I mean, there's probably some from like old Mid South or NWA that I probably haven't seen or like remember off the top of my head, but something like that. Right. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I like I had to go back to those archives. There's probably there should be a book on this, like or like double turns, because it's right. such a rarity in wrestling. Right. Right. And the fact the fact that wrestling's been around for over. More than a hundred years, hundred years now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, way more than a hundred years, and the fact that there hasn't been that many makes it just—it's it, like once a generation, or maybe even no, it'd be less than once a generation. It'd be like once every two or three generations that a rare babyface turn or rare uh, double turn happens. Um, but definitely, this one had the most impact. You know, which it led to Bret Hart uh, doing the. Um, anti-american you know thing bringing the heart foundation back together again uh austin shot straight to the moon after this became one of the biggest stars in the history of the company um uh and i find it so funny that we talked about bret hart and then we're fixing to go straight into the very next uh very next entry on this list roger you got it yeah, and actually, now that I think about it, this is another double turn. Um, in, in, in a sense, yeah. In a sense, yeah. Um, a political BS kind of way, but it was a double turn because it definitely, I mean, especially it happening. All right, so I want to say um, this one is the Montreal Screwjob. Um, technically, Brett was the heel going to it, but he was in Montreal, so he was going to be like, cheered because he was canadian regardless yeah but this was, um, but, but 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 at the same time this was a heel program between michaels and because michaels was doing the degeneration next shit which but they were faces were they faces though i mean yeah. they, they were the goofy faces that picked on the authority figures yeah but did they come yeah but i don't know if they really truly embraced like to me like because mm, because they feud with austin also they feuded with owen Defeated was a nation of domination. Nation of domination, yeah, but that was after Sean had left when they feuded with the nation, though. Which I think that's one of the best faction on faction uh, rivalry from like ninety from like from the from, from the nineties ninety eight and stuff. That faction between DX and the nation was just an amazing. Well, anyway. Was because they got away with blackface. <laughs> a lot of blackface. Yeah, 
I think I know where term X Pac Heat came from then. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Roger. Um, so it's crazy to think about a time before Vince McMahon was known to be the man behind it on WWE. Um, he remained in the background beyond working commentary for a long time. Um, all that changed at Survivor Series in 1997. Bret Hart walked in as champion and refused to lose to Shawn Michaels in Montreal. What followed was a breach of trust as referee Earl Hebner called for the bell on the orders of McMahon as the hitman was in a sharpshooter awarding the victory to Michaels. HBK would go on to run with the title for a while, but the true heel here was McMahon. The boss has emerged as real-life drama transformed the story into what became the Attitude Era. While decades will be spent questioning who was in the right, the end result was that Mr. McMahon took over the business with a heel turn pushed by real circumstances that more or less lasted in the modern day. Um, yeah, I mean, this is one, one of those moments that, like, broke the illusion of wrestling. Um... Because it was too much of the backstage leaked into the front of everything. And nothing like this had ever happened, at least in WWE, on national television. Um, maybe there was some kind of small promoter that thought to, you know, did a screw job, the, the worked screw job on somebody back in the day. But nothing like this ever. Oh, I, I agree 100%. Yeah, you know this. It literally made two stars with this one, um, one one moment in history because it, it elevated Vince McMahon to the the biggest may, heel in. Yeah. I, I would say almost the history of WWE. I mean, it um, made it made Vince McMahon become Mister McMahon, like the corporate asshole. Yeah, like, um, so it made it. Gave, it I agree with you with him being the biggest heel, um, definitely at this time. But I mean, whenever somebody needs that, like when Vince has somebody that he wants to give that push and he can't seem to get them over, he steps in, even in his hundred year old age. Right. Um, I mean, he did it for Roman. He did it for Kevin Owens. He did it for AJ Styles. He did it for Kofi. He did it for did, Daniel yeah, Bryan. Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Like. Um, right, which, but yeah, go ahead. But uh, where I was getting at, but so it also because of this, we got Steve Austin. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't like by no means am I saying it was like immediate, but because of this moment in wrestling history, we get Mister McMahon, and then kind of out of nowhere. You get this, not white meat baby face, but you get this this guy who is like, hey, um, you know, I'm going to battle this evil entity known as Mr. McMahon. And he becomes arguably the biggest star ever. Yeah. The night well, is separated, like, like this night propelled into WrestleMania 14, you know? Well, I mean, it, we say that, but, like, the whole thing was that the only reason why Steve Austin got that forefront is because of King of the Ring when he won that in the promo that came after it. But, I mean, he wasn't even slated to win it. Yeah. But we're talking about the, uh, the 1996 promo or the 1996 main, uh, King of the Ring? Yeah. 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 
like yeah that that's what made stone cold i mean that pushed stone cold up to the top where everybody like you know i want to know what like he's doing and then the creation of mr McMahon gave him the absolute his ultimate arch nemesis because i mean at that point he really didn't have he was still floating around i mean he's still near the top but he wasn't at the top and like that was all a whim because jake roberts was supposed to win it but he was so messed up they changed the whole king of the ring for stone cold to come and take over no, I thought uh, Triple H was supposed to Triple win H, that. yeah, Triple H was supposed yeah. to do it, and then the curtain call happened, and and they punished him because they couldn't punish Sean. He was the number one guy. They couldn't punish uh, Hall and Nash because they were leaving. I thought um, it was. I thought Jake Roberts was supposed to win it, and he was so messed up they wouldn't give it to him. No, no, no. He was actually no. He was actually sober at this point before going before actually getting back uh, heavy into it. It wasn't until couple of months later when he actually got hooked back on whatever he was getting hooked on um which he's doing great now you know thanks to ddp yoga so um well, just thanks to ddp being a sponsor exactly <laughs> right. exactly live there. um i mean i mean my god i mean we could talk about this montreal but just because of of all the stuff that was going on at the time and the the question that's always asked about this particular story this particular angle Is this it a work? was it a work and even when they brought Brett back and they had to sit down with Shawn Michaels, they asked them that question, like, was this real? And they both just laugh. Well, think, like, well, don't be those, but, but think, don't be those dudes. But think about it, but think about it though. <laughs> I mean, the Wrestling with Shadows uh, documentary was being filmed around the time. You know, um, there was a lot of, you know, underlying tone. I'm, <clears throat> excuse me. I was listening again to another Kayfabe commentaries where Sean Oliver asked uh, X-Pac, he goes, the Montreal screw job, was it a work? And he goes, that's a really good question, but I don't want to know the answer. And he was like, what do you mean? He goes, that was such an iconic moment. If someone told me that it was a work, it would kind of like take a little bit of the luster off of it. I feel, yeah. like, I feel like some things you have to believe that some things were real in order for it to, you know, if it, if it, if it was real, awesome. If it was, if it wasn't real, I don't want to know it wasn't real because it's gonna, it's gonna drastically affect the way I feel about it. What's the saying? You work yourself into a shoot. Work yourself into a shoot. Yeah, and if, yep. and depending on what version of the story you want to listen to, um, uh, J- Jim Cornette had had a whole uh, dissertation about it when he was. T- I think I think it was a KFA commentary timeline where he talks about a certain timeline in the history of the business, and he was actually talking about the 1997 timeline. Um, where he, he actually talked about the uh, the Montreal screw job and that whole I mean that the whole thing lasted about thirty minutes or whatever his whole dissertation was about it. Um, he says openly he says I don't know who came up with the finish but I know who didn't it wasn't Russo because he fucking can't stand Vince Russo. Um, shit stain is what he called shit him. stain. Yeah, you go. Um, but but also he goes he 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 walked up to Bruce Pritchard and he goes Bruce I don't want to know anything other than do we have a finish? He said yes we do. He goes okay. So he was watching in the back like most people. Um, and then the moment they went into the spot he was like and then right there there was the bell and he was like well see you guys later. He went off and got himself Wendy's and then went back to the hotel and slept because he didn't stay he didn't stay around for like the monitor trashing and he him get punched in the Vince getting punched in the face or any of that stuff um there was a whole thing about how he you know vince was on the phone with sean and then on the phone with brett and somebody else waning on their opinion and things of that nature 
there was a there was a issue of well why doesn't Brett because it, the whole thing was about his contract dispute, and you got to remember this is 1997 and we are very much in the trenches of the Monday Night War, and WCW let's be honest is still kicking Vince McMahon's ass at this point in 1997. You know. I mean, Bret Hart's contract at that point was fucking ridiculous, and I never don't ever know why Vince agreed to it to begin with. But but here's the thing: but here's wasn't the thing. it like ten years, uh, hundred million dollars or something? No, yeah, was, I, mean, I don't know if it was that much. I mean, it was it was no, it was there. It was ridiculous. It was almost ten ten million a year, which is like for for what? Right? Nobody's making me that much money. No, I mean, you try to find somebody to, in today's business that makes that much money. You know. I mean, I really, to be honest, like, I would even give that contract to Stone Cold because I don't think he, like, he was making a lot of merchandise, but $10 million a year to justify? Fuck that. Yeah. Right. And then also, but you also got to look at it from the standpoint that, again, you know, W, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, and the, it's, it's, it's like folklore. It's kind of, kind of like the whole thing. You, have you ever done this when you were in school? Um, you, the teacher would tell some, would whisper something to the one kid. And then you have to go down the line, and then by the time telephone. you get to the last, ki- say what? Telephone. Yeah, telephone. Then the, well, by the time you get to the last person, what the teacher told the first kid is completely different from what the last kid says. Yeah, that's how I feel about this whole story. The Montreal Screwjob has been talked about, and the and the story has been twisted, and it's been the story's been like one person said that you know, oh well, Bret Hart knew about it, uh, decided it was the, it was the first work shoot double cross. Because the idea of a double cross is you want to get the results that you want without either of the participants' knowledge, but also let, without letting anybody else know that anything's off kilter. But they didn't do that. They went with the worked shoot double cross to which everybody knew the fucking fix was in, but the one guy who got fucked didn't realize till afterwards or whatever it was. Um, you know, and then the whole thing, you see Brett say WCW, so it's almost like, oh, well, Vince is allowing him to leave. And it fucking said it in the Bret Hart documentary. Vince even said me and him both organized a way to get him to WCW. The belt wasn't a factor. It wasn't the fact that Brett didn't want to lose in Montreal. Yes, it was. The fact that he didn't want to lose it to Shawn Michaels. That's what it no, put down he, to. He didn't want to lose it to Montreal because he said he's that next day when they weren't in, in Montreal, um, he dropped the belt. Right. But, yeah. but, but the whole thing was is that, and then also, I think, I can't remember who it was that told um, Vince this, but it's like, well, you know, why don't we just have Brett just hand the belt to you on Raw, and then Cornette said, yeah, that's a good idea, Vince. Why don't you just lay in the middle of the ring and let Bret Hart piss in your mouth when he does it? You know? You know? I mean, this was the biggest clusterfuck in the history of clusterfucks. You had one guy who was leaving, the other guy who was staying, but he was a, he was kind of a prick, and he was difficult to deal with. You know? No one knew what the fuck they were going to do at the time, and it literally, I think it was a day decision where people was like, oh, you know, if you go, if you listen to reports, they went into the production meeting. They talked about the whole match, but when they got to the main event between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, they just said the match and no details were discussed. Were discussed, and it's like, also y'all don't even know what the fuck y'all are doing. Okay. Well, the thing is, it it was that Shawn wanted. I mean, not Shawn. Bret wanted to play hardball, and. I mean, Vince is like, yo, I can't justify paying you ten million, which is true because Brent wasn't. I mean, he was at the end of his career where he wasn't drawn as much, and then Sean was drawn more, put the title on him, 
Brett's like, no, I'm not losing to Canada and still pay me $10 million a year. Like, no, dude. If you're not going to play the game, I'm not going to pay you. Right. Like, a lot of these guys, like, that's there's a reason why nobody has the Hulk Hogan rule anymore. Because at any moment, these guys can just hold the belt hostage and then make the money anyways. Right. No. But I think, but I think, but I think that, and, and this just might be me, I think it was less to do with the fact that it was in Canada and more to do with the fact that Sean was being Sean in his pre-born again douchiness you know what i mean you know i mean i mean that, i mean that's just me you know i mean i mean granted but i mean bret hart you know from all accounts bret hart have, has been said you know to be a good guy and a professional even if he did take shit seriously and then the following night on monday when vince did the whole it is a time-honored tradition you know in this business that when someone's leaving you give them the proper respect and blah 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 blah, blah. you know um, and then they talk about how, oh, well, you know, Bret Hart was leaving for WCW the following night. No, he wasn't. No, Bret, Hart, wasn't. Bret Hart's WCW, WCW contract didn't start until either December 5th or something like that. They could have had a whole month that they could have done something, you know? Uh, so I don't know. Well, we've talked about this one enough. Time to move on to the next one. Uh, hold on. I was going to real quick. Yeah, don't cut him off too quick now. Uh, well, I'm I'm looking at. Let's see. Um, so the Montreal screw job was in what, Survivor Series. Survivor Series, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, Gang Wars. So, um, the the contract it was a twenty year contract that Hart oh. had signed. Twenty Jesus. years. But uh, obviously, it wasn't going to be a wrestler. He was also obviously going to get a backstage role, right? Hell, with a twenty-year contract, fuck, I'm getting part ownership. Shit, you're not Ric Flair. That's true. <laughs> no, that's exactly. just creative control. <laughs> Give me the uh, fucking book. I hate Jim Hurd. <laughs> he hated yeah. that motherfucker. <laughs> so a lot of that people was do. that what? was. Uh, so a lot of people do. Seven. Yeah. And let's see, Hart signed a three-year contract with WCW, including a salary of two and a half million a year, a one million dollar annual increase from his WWF contract, um, as well as a lighter schedule and a measure of creative control over his television character. A day after the WWF's uh, Survivor Series pay-per-view. Eric Bischoff, while with the NWO, announced that Hart was going to be coming to WCW and joining the NWO. And it wasn't until uh, December 15th of 97 that he made his debut. Um, and that was due to a 60-day no-complete cause from the WWF. So, hey, oh, go ahead. A $20 million, I was say, he had a $20 million... Uh, not twenty million, a twenty-year deal, and he's gonna get paid a million dollar plus extra a year. That's what was added to the WCW contract, also. So this right. man was gonna be making over twenty million just to be a backstage producer. Correct. Nah, son. Let me let me ask one more question here, and and then I promise we'll get up. We'll move on to the next thing. Do you think it was a situation where Vince was worried about possibly Brett showing up? on a WCW television with the WWE championship. Oh, 100%. And 
And that's why he did what he did because it's not that I don't think it's that Vince didn't trust Brett. I think he just didn't trust Eric Bischoff because I mean you've seen what happened with the whole Alunge Blaze thing when she showed up on Nitro and put the women's championship belt in the trash. Uh, so yeah, I mean I'm, I would definitely think that that would have something to do with him, you know, taking the belt off of Brett when he did because uh, I mean that is that was a worry and again we were right dead in the middle of the Monday Night War so. It was a strong possibility. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, okay. that's possible. Yeah. All right, let's get down to the nitty-gritty, because this one's going to be... Whew. All right. Well, the, the last one on the list is uh, 1A, 1B for me. Uh, and this is when Hulk Hogan joined the NWO. So given the various moments already included... On this list, it is only right to end with Hulk Hogan and the most shocking heel turn in the business. After decades in the business, no one could take his spot at the top as the biggest star in wrestling. After years in WWE, Hogan left in 93. He sat out his contract and headed to WCW. There, it was business as usual until the NWO arrived. The Outsiders team of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash promised a third man would join them in their hostile takeover of WCW in 96. Hogan emerged and hit a series of leg drops on Randy Savage. Poor Randy Savage. Always getting buried by Hogan. Yeah, he um, did even when Hogan was part of... Yeah, it's... Mm, yeah, yeah. We're gonna talk uh, turkey, dude! Shut up. <laughs> yeah, so um, Hogan had emerged in his series of leg drops on Randy Savage in a defiant statement of intent. It was such an incredible moment that fans bought in completely. They threw garbage into the ring as Hogan announced the NWO was the future of wrestling. After more than a decade as the lead babyface in the industry, Hogan had traded roles. No heel turn will likely make more of an impact. What do you guys think? I mean, it definitely... 1996, because uh, they were trading... Because WCW and WWE was trading ratings. I mean, they were they traded ratings victories at this point, right? I think once the NWO took place, yes, it definitely was like, oh, this is different. This is something that's not the norm. You know, especially from the standpoint that Hulk Hogan, even when Hulk Hogan did his deal pre-NWO, when he did the whole deal with the fucking... Dungeon of Doom, and he did the whole thing of fighting this guy oh, and that guy, so the, the the alliance to end Hulkamania, the fucking Doomsday Cage, and all that silly bullshit that probably would have gotten over in the eighties, but it didn't get over in the nineties um, because people saw through Hogan's bullshit. Um, but then people were just tired of Hogan. Yeah, but just like with everything, I mean, you needed something new. You needed you needed to refresh. You know, you needed to be something different. When they announced the third guy, they, they, you know, Okerlund's in the ring. is like, where was your third man? Hall said, all you need to know is that he's here and he's ready. And then they did the whole deal. And then during the match, Luger uh, gets taken out, has to leave on a stretcher. So it makes it more of a traditional tag match between Savage and Sting versus um, the Outsiders. Macho Man comes in, house of fire, boom, 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 does that, that double axe handles on Hall. Double axe handle on the hall again. Goes for one on Nash. Nash hits him with a low blow. He's down. And probably the greatest commentary 
of all because you had you had Brain, uh, Shivani, and uh, good old Dusted Rose, baby, on commentary. You just hear he's like Hulkamania, Hulk Hogan's here! Holy shit, Hulk Hogan's here! He Hulk Hogan's in the building. Get damn right he is! And then Brain gonna plant the seed. Yeah, but whose side is he on? What are you talking about? Whose side is he on? He gets in the ring. The crowd's going crazy. Everything's cool. And then Dusty Rose with that classic, who's bad now, boys? And then all of a sudden, the leg drop. And it just goes silent. And you're like, what the fuck did I just witness? And then just insane. It's like, oh, Gogan has betrayed WCW. Like, and then, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's like 19, I mean, it's 1996. I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, like I'm a nine-year-old kid watching this. I'm thinking like, what the fuck just happened? Like, even me as a nine-year-old kid, I'm thinking, what just ha- what the hell just happened here? Because it was that impactful because that hill turn was the turning point in the Monday Night War at that point. That moment made people want to tune into WCW more. I mean, I guess I was four at the time, so it wasn't that impactful for me. <laughs> uh, like, I know you're not a fan of Hogan, Raj, but you do got to admit that moment was very, very impactful and a very big uh, turning point of the money. I mean, it, was, it was Hogan being Hogan. How we had to have a spotlight. Um, yeah. Well, it, it, if you look back at it, Hogan didn't really change his wrestling style at all. Um he was still doing babyface stuff as this heel character. Uh, the only difference was is he was telling you that he was going to do it and then did it and it pissed people off. But did he... He didn't do the comeback, though. The Hulk up, did he? No, he didn't. No, that kind of left the repertoire. All, all he did was like the punches... The slam and the leg drop still he'd work ahead. I mean, right. he'd, he'd work. I mean, he'd work a hold here and there. You know, why are you lying? <laughs> a headlock, a sleeper, something like that. Interference from the giant. You know, Andre Son, as they called him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this moment was definitely. I mean, I mean, you mean back in the good old days where the fans can throw shit in the ring and not get arrested for it. You know. Like, well, I yeah. like, I mean, go ahead. I, I was going to say, uh, that a, as a, as a heel, having people litter the, the ring with garbage because of something you did is almost a dream come true. Like, so I got that much heat that they wasted all of their money by throwing full cups of beer and popcorn into the ring at me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, baby faces get streamers, heels get trash. Yeah. It, it, it's it's so insane, man. But try to find people who will throw trash in the ring at a performer today. Like, you know, it might happen on the independent. I mean, you the indies. I mean, it'll happen yeah. on the indies. But I'm talking <laughs> about like, would it happen on AEW television? It. Well, they are. I mean, AEW is indie, though. Right, it's it's indies with a big budget. Yeah, but they do get trashed on at them. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I I relish in it. Right. 
until so. a damn D-cell battery hits me in the damn head, and I'm thinking, what the fuck? And then I go out there to confront. Chip's trying to back me up. Then the bitch pulls, a, puts, pulls out a switchblade, and Chip's like, oh, hell no! <laughs> I'm like, oh. Next you know, security's backing all of us up. I miss PCW. Hankins, give me a call, man. <laughs> but anyway. Pro Championship Wrestling? Hmm? Uh, Porter, or, uh, Platinum, Platinum Championship Wrestling. Yeah, I know. I know. I miss Platinum, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I count this as, is my one, a one B, uh, and, and the, the one B would be the, the Montreal screw job, uh, because both of these moments had such a significant impact on the business. Um, you know, you, you got the NWO, which carried WCW for quite a few years until they completely watered it down with like three quarters of the roster being part of the NWO. They also uh, split the NWO apart and they put them back together. Yep. A couple of times actually. Then it was the NWO Wolfpack. Elite, NWO B team, uh, NWO Wolfpack. Uh, Somewhat like, I think the idea behind the whole, end of, the whole NWO concept by itself was it was the Bishop wanted to make a second brand. So, I mean, kind of ahead of its time in a sense. Um, but, you know, people weren't just about because you can't really have like a brand with like, well, I mean, heels, he stole the, you know, like he stole the idea from the, from the NWO in Japan. Right. Right. He's like, oh, these dudes are getting over by being a giant heel faction with a lot of their top guys. Why don't I do that? But the whole reason why the NWO worked, well, was the, I don't think. The NWO wasn't a Gaijin faction, was it? No, I mean, it was actual Japanese guys. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, like yeah, the so, top guys. Right. You know, but the bullet, I mean, the, I mean, the Bullet Club, which is kind of similar to the NWO in a way, was the Gaijin faction because it had, you know, yeah. Canadians and, you know, the Irish and American, you know, all these different foreigner heels, you know, to invade because in Japan, if you're from America, you're automatically the heel, you know? No, no, really. well, well, people will pay money to see, you know, their homegrown talent beat shit out of you, you know. But Japan's weird. We know this. Japan, they like, yeah, they like outsiders. Yeah. Right. All right. So that being said, but, man, yeah, uh, ten great. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Roger. No, I was, I was like, I had a thought, but I was like, you know what? No, it's fine. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. What were you gonna say? No, like it really, it was just a side note, so it doesn't even matter. Oh, okay, like, we're good. No, okay. Um, now the list that they provided for us did have a couple of honorable mentions. Um, do you guys want to go over any of these that maybe stand out to you? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Which one? Which one stands out to you? Um, I, for me, is one that I thought should have been on a list because of how impactful it was and how it did change a brand uh, legacy. Um, and that's Tommaso Ciampa turning on Johnny Gargano. Yeah. Um, I mean, the heel turn was, I mean, it still remains fresh. I mean, it's it's been four years, but I mean, I still remember like yesterday. But uh, it's, it's, I mean, it was the best feud going on for a while there. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, DIY was the super over baby faces. Like we loved them, nothing they can never do any wrong. Yeah. They lose a match against AOP. Was it AOP? It was uh, AOP yes. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think it was, it was the ladder match. Yeah, the ladder match. Yeah, 
it was a ladder match against AOP. Champa hurt himself, but they get to the top of the ramp. Um, they're holding each other up, you know, celebrating. Champa gives them a pat on the back, and right before they, they look little uh, three quarter, like three not three quarters, three thirds, little symbol saying, you know, probably a WWE lower thinks is over, and then he just throws Gargano into the LED screen. Yeah, and. Literally did not expect that. Like there was no hinting. That's what made it so good. Yeah, exactly. And then picked him up and hit him with the fucking um, air raid siren off the ring, off the announce table through like shit ton of like tables and the way that it was set up and everything. And yeah, that was that was yeah. Um, but I mean, like that. But the thing is, like, there hasn't been a heel that convincing since. And it's been a while since we had one before that too. Yeah, like right. Champo, he wasn't a cowardly heel; he was vicious, aggressive because he wanted the title. That's all he. That's his whole thing. Is he wanted the title? He wanted to be number one, and he would do anything and everything. And that's his only focus. It wasn't the money, like Brock Lesnar. It wasn't being a coward and holding it like most of the other guys that make it seem like. Is he's like I am the best. This is my title. Nobody touch it. Yeah. Right. Called it gold. I, I would, he, I would he called it golding. The, yeah, I would say that the closest thing to that is Roman Reigns' current Tribal Chief Hill run. But it's not even that. Like, Roman's doing it for the, the legacy of the family and the money for the family. Because, you know, without him, nobody eats. So I'm like... Right. Like, and That's he is being cowardly. Yeah. But, like, I was thinking, like, Ciampa made that... Like, it's so hard to think of, like, a... I'm really trying to remember like a heel that was sort of like that. Yeah. Um, well, I think. I mean, obviously, you're gonna go to NXT for that type of, you know. Which I mean, I mean, Andrade wasn't really a. Was I don't even think Andrade was a cowardly heel, was he? He wasn't a cowardly heel, but but not to the level more of about. I mean, not not to the intensity level of Champa though. No, I mean, but his was more like just uh, it was built on the legacy of him separating himself from his family's history. Right. So it was more of like a legacy kind of thing to like, like Ciampa just wanted the title. That's all it was. Yeah. Yep. Like he didn't care. He just wanted the title. Didn't care who like, he, it's went not been like, he had to go through. Right. Yeah. And it didn't matter what he had to put his body through. Because, I mean, him and Gargano had a lot of matches that they beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. They really, really did. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a, that, that, as far as unsuspecting heel turns, that was definitely one that was up there. Um, I really can't really, I'm going to, I'm going to throw one out there. Um, Becky Lynch slapping Charlotte Flair was one that they mentioned. Uh, it says the landscape in the WWE women's division would look completely different if Lynch had won the SmackDown Women's Championship in 2018 rather than lose to Charlotte. However, this turn was temporary as fans soon forced the company to accept she was still a fan favorite, which go ahead, Roger. Go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. What are you going to say? I was saying nobody gave a shit about Charlotte. They were booing her winning that title, that match. Like, so Becky attacking her was what the fans wanted. It wasn't Becky turning heel. It was establishing Charlotte more as a heel. The fans right. booed it. They hated it. They didn't want her to win. Right, and then I mean, which, exactly. I mean, that's when Becky Lynch came up with the man uh, gimmick, and it was just 
you know, just... I mean, she didn't come up with the man until she get punched in the face and had her whole head dropped off. Well, I mean, she still kind of had that, but she was slowly becoming that character in a sense. Um, you know, and then her and Charlotte having that, probably the best match on that uh, Evolution card, which in my opinion should have been the main event, but they had to put Rondi and Nikki out there. Um, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Still, I still feel like Charlotte should have closed out that show because that was a fucking hellacious. Uh, uh, that main event had two people that shouldn't have been in the business to begin with. I said what I said. Okay. All Chip, right any, 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 any honorable mention stand out to you, Bubba? Uh, no, not really. Not I really. Mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Chompa breaking Gargano's heart is probably the best one on right. this list uh i mean very few people are gonna remember zabisco turning on san martino um sting never made sense in the four horsemen to begin with nope um stephanie siding with triple h uh over you know her family but that one's kind of weird too because it was heels turning on heels right like that and they one, all stayed heels <laughs> right um i i guess the the next best one would be uh, of their honorable mentions would be um owen hart's jealousy breaking up the family you know but that was also very very foreshadowed uh he always was like I don't want to be in Brett's shadow, and also not only that, I mean, it's justifiable. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, but that's—I mean—that's where I'm at on that. All right, guys. So, um, I think that's going to do it for us for this one. Um, thank you again to Anchor once more for being a sponsor. Um, you know, we can't do it without you guys. And now Anchor is helping us and we're helping them. And I mean, they're amazing. We use them literally for everything. <laughs> 100%. So, um, with that being said, uh, don't forget our new subscription based uh, podcast right here through Anchor. Uh, link in the description below for as little as $2.99 a month you get all of the extra bonus content that we put out uh, it helps us in turn it helps you because we're able to put out more content and better content for you guys um, also check out movementradio.us that is your one stop shop for all things movement radio All right. Well, that'll do it for us today. Uh, are you still there, Talon? Uh, I think we may have lost Talon. Oh, I think we may have lost him. So, uh, on behalf of Talon, we are Movement Radio. Uh, yep, we lost him. <laughs> um, I am Roger Sierra. I am Chip Hazard. And he was Talon Williams. <laughs> and this is Movement Radio. God's plan. Lizard man. Lizard man. Dang it. <laughs>